from Spot Scouting. I'm the director of amateur scouting and founder of the site. In today's episode, we are going to be introducing our new podcast called Smart Talk. With me, I have a few of my colleagues, Paul Zook, Matthew Soma, and Jordan Millette. Guys, do you want to introduce yourselves? So, hey, I'm Matthew Soma. I uh, am a WHL video scout. Jordan Millette. Uh, I'm helping on the SMAT team with the OHL and QMJHL, uh, focusing on the Eastern region. Uh, so that'll be my focus this year. I just sort of joined the team midway through last year. So looking forward to a fun 2022 season. Uh, last, but probably least, uh, Paul Zook joining you here. Uh, I'm covering the Southeastern portion of the OHL and the USHL and the US national development team. And, uh, looking forward to another great season. Thanks, gents. On today's episode, we're going to start out with talking about the NCAA. We're going to talk about Owen Power going back to the University of Michigan, alongside Matthew Beniers, Kent Johnson, as well as Luke Hughes, Dylan Duke, Ethan Edwards, and Mackie Samoskevich. The Michigan Wolverines are very, very loaded for next year. So I want to take some time and talk about Owen Power going back to the University of Michigan and talk about whether or not it made the most sense for him in terms of his development. I know that there's been a lot of questions in the media in terms of in terms of if this is the right path for power and whether or not Buffalo was making a mistake. I know that there was some interesting comments from a TSN contributor the other day. And so, you know, so I just want to touch on power and, um, you know, and shed some light in terms of his development. So, Paul, are you ready to talk about your beloved Buffalo Sabres? Let's get the ball rolling, man. Owen Power. Well, thank you. I appreciate that uh, for sure. Um, I guess if you want to look at it this way from a Sabres fan perspective, it's it's nice to know that we have a, a defenseman with the skill set that Owen Power brings. Um, personally, I think it's a great decision. He's going back. I mean, it's not like the Sabres are going to be competing for a playoff spot, in my honest opinion, next season. So, I mean, to keep him out of <laughs> – I love Jordan's smile there – just to keep him out of a a losing scenario. And I mean, given the choice between playing for the Sabres in the NHL next year and kind of going through the, the doldrums of the season once they start to come around, uh, as opposed to going and fighting for a national championship in Michigan. I mean, if it were me, the choice would be super easy. So I, I personally think he made the right decision, and it'll be great not only for him in terms of mindset moving forward in his career, but it'll also be great to... Uh, for his development as well. I think he's got a couple little things to work on in his game before he can be considered a top-level defensive prospect. And I think it'll do wonders for wonders for his development. With Owen Power, I definitely welcome the choice to go back to the University of Michigan. You know, I think when you watched him last year that, you know, he didn't exert a lot of physicality at times. And he, you know, he definitely needed to get um, a little bit tighter in terms of his defensive pressure. I would also love to see his reaction time and feet work improve. You know, I, you know, I just want to see power become way more of a physical defensive asset. And at times I didn't really feel like we got that out of him. And, you know, and I think that we look at a player like Owen Power and we look at his stature and think, you know, he's, you know, he's supposed to be this because, you know, because he's 
this size. And if you were going in and expecting that out of power, unfortunately, you were a little bit disappointed. But with that being said, there is a lot to like about Owen Power. And I very much like, and I very much enjoyed his transitional play and his offensive play. And, you know, ultimately, we just need to see a little bit more defensive development, you know, take, you know, take shape. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what's next for Owen Power and going back to University of Michigan and working with that excellent coaching staff. You know, I, I definitely think it's the best move for him instead of throwing him, you know, in the NHL and having him develop those traits at the NHL. At least he can get more, you know, personalized attention um, in the NCAA. And so I think he's really, really going to benefit from that. I think the thing that sticks out with me for this one is um, nobody really says, like, I wish I went pro earlier. It's always kind of the inverse of this player went pro too early. They were rushed. They didn't get the time to dominate a lower level and they were brought to NHL too early. I think the thing that sticks out with me for this one is um, nobody really says, like, I wish I went pro earlier. It's always kind of the inverse of this player went pro too early. They were rushed. They didn't get the time to dominate a lower level and they were brought to NHL too early. So you can't really undo that when you go. And so going back to a team like Michigan, where he can dominate on a championship contending team, um, puts him in the right environment to succeed. And I think it's just a good year for him to kind of flourish and work on all those other areas of his game that he needs to work on. So, yeah, you hear a lot about players were rushed, um, but you never really hear the opposite of, oh, this guy spent too long developing in the minors. And, of course, there is some extremes if teams like don't give you the opportunity until you're 24, 25, but taking one year at 19 to, to hang out in Michigan and dominate, uh, I think, is the right decision. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm going to equate it back to probably the biggest Carolina Hurricanes prospect failure, which, you know, I guess I didn't say this, but I, I did grow up, you know, a Canes fan. Um, it was Noah Hannafin. You know, he, he broke into the NHL 2015-16 season and just never grew in the three years he was here. And we always got the feeling of, you know, if he went back to college for an extra year, he would have been able to fine-tune a few things and would have been able to come into the NHL more prepared than he would have been in his draft year. So it makes total sense for power. Obviously, you know, that Boston College team wasn't as stacked as, you know, the team Owen Power is going to be playing on. But, I mean, what an opportunity. New Jersey Devils, Quinn Hughes of the Vancouver Canucks, and Luke Hughes, who was just drafted by the New Jersey Devils. Jack, this Jack Hughes is from Westwood, Massachusetts, and will be playing for Northeastern next year. On the flip side, you've got Jack Devine, who also came from the U.S. National Team Development Program and is going to be suiting up for the University of Denver next year. So you've got two premier 2022 draft eligibles back in the NCAA. Over the last couple of years, we've seen guys like Dylan Holloway, Matthew Beneers, Owen Power, Kent Johnson playing in the NCAA in their draft year, and we are getting more more draft eligibles in the NCAA and college hockey is so much fun. So let's dive into these guys. I haven't seen too much of either. Um, the only thing that sticks out to me with the Jack Hughes 2.0 is uh, there's also another Elias Pettersson in this draft class. So it'll it'll be a fun year of the same name, and those jokes will be 
I'm sure they'll get old by May and June of next year, but for the time being, they're fresh and uh, a good good little joke to make. But I don't have too much to add on the players themselves, but a little quirky fact about the draft with those two team, two players with uh, the same. No, Jordan, it's really, really funny that you bring that up. Yeah, because, I mean, we're going to see multiple players come out of this draft class that have the same exact name as NHL regular forwards. And so, yeah, so that's definitely going to trip fans up left and right. But, you know, speaking of Jack Hughes, I very, very much love his shot. You know, he's got you know, he's got great range. You know, it is a silky smooth shot. And, you know, and he's very, very lethal. You know, he's, you know, he is a explosive offensive uh, playmaking forward. And I can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do at Northeastern. You know, Northeastern has a great, great program. And, you know, and, you know, and they've been really, really developing that program over the last few years. And, you know, and it'll, you know, and it'll be great to see what Jack Hughes brings to that team. Yeah, I mean, I'd like just to touch on uh, Jack Devine there. I mean, he's headed to a program in the University of Denver who had, I'd like to say, a really strong recruiting class this year. I mean, just looking at the freshmen they have coming in, just on defense as well. I mean, they got Sean Barron's coming in. They got Shea Bouillon coming in. Um, it's yet to be seen, obviously, if Bobby Brink will still be there. Um, he hasn't signed, has he? I don't know. He hasn't. So. I didn't yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, but also just to add, I mean, you got Carter Mazer coming from, I believe, the USHL with Tri Cities. So I mean, there's going to be the talent around him, and you know, playing under somebody like like David Carl, I think will be great for his development too. So I mean, you're you're going to expect big things from him moving forward. And he definitely has the skill set to to make that happen. Next up on the list is the CHL, the Canadian Hockey League. I want to talk about. A couple of defensive prospects that are deemed the top defensive prospects in the CHL that are 2022 draft eligibles. And those are Denton Matichuk, Ty Nelson, and Tristan Luno. For those unfamiliar with the three of them, Denton plays for the Moose Jaw Warriors in the WHL. Ty Nelson plays for the North Bay Battalion in the Ontario Hockey League. And Tristan Luno plays for the Gatineau Olympique in the Quebec. But before we open up the floor and talk about these three, I just want to provide uh, a little bit more information in terms of Tristan Leno's status. So JF Planté uh, tweeted out uh, the other day that Tristan Leno was going to be missing some time uh, due to surgery. The injury is undisclosed at this time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely is worth pointing out that he's going to be missing uh, some time. We, we just don't know the extent. And, you know, that could potentially have, you know, an impact on his draft stock. And so I just want to open up the floor um, to our other co-host uh, to talk about Leno and what might happen to his draft stock. Uh, it seems like they're in the early days of sort of diagnosing and figuring out what the issue is. But again, we don't really know too much about what's going on. Um, so, yeah, of course, missing a substantial amount of time in your draft year would be pretty detrimental to... Um, your draft stock because you're going to get less viewings, get less time to iron out um, all the kinks early in the season, fit with your team, and then kind of get inserted back in midway through the season and have to play catch up. So hopefully it's not something too serious. Like we saw with Luke Hughes missing a good amount of time last year. Um, luckily it didn't affect his draft stock because the type of player he is. Um, but yeah, hoping for the best with him. Yeah, absolutely, Jordan. I mean, the only benefit I'd say if you're looking for a silver lining in this is that the the 
Quebec Junior League had more of a season, arguably, than anybody in um, in Canada last year in terms of major junior hockey. So, I mean, he'll have that to go off of. So, it's not like his stock will be completely tanked. But, yeah, it definitely doesn't bode well for his draft stock. But, I mean, hopefully the tape can speak for itself and hopefully he can get back to playing sooner rather than later. Yeah, and if if Canada is participating in the U18s in the spring, I mean, hopefully he's not missing that because, I mean, that's another good opportunity for scouts to get some eyes on him. And, uh, you know, if if a player's out for those tournaments, you know, they might make some teams final list, but he might fall down a little further than he probably should, as we've seen with guys like Luke Hughes, Peyton Krebs, you know. It could also be a steal for a mid-round team if somebody doesn't want to take the uh, take the risk up high. I mean, there's always teams like that benefit from certain injuries or whatever the situation may be. There's always that team that's going to take a flyer on them. What is interesting about Tristan Leno missing time is that you know we you know when we look back at last year, I mean, we saw Chaz Luchas miss a decent amount of time. And, you know, when he, you know, when Chaz finally came back, I mean, Chaz pretty much was, you know, was the old Chaz Luchas. And so, you know, I mean, the good thing is with Tristan Leno is that, well, we have a lot of footage from last year, um, you know, from the QMJHL season. And so, you know, at least, you know, at least we can rely on that, you know, for, you know, for the time being. And then when the, you know, then when he returns... You know, hope you know. Hopefully, um, you know. Hopefully, he can come to you know full you know full speed very very fast, and uh, you know, and we get the old Tristan Luno. So you know, fingers crossed, and you know, and we definitely hope is uh, we we definitely hope that his recovery period um, is a fast and smooth one, and uh, look forward to seeing Tristan Luno back on the ice for the Gatineau Olympics. It- it's uh it's interesting with the Luke Hughes comparisons with the injury because when I watched him a couple of times, I, I I don't want to compare him to Luke Hughes, but I, I I get that same sort of vibe of what they're trying to do when they're on the ice. He's they're both not the best in their own end. Um, they thrive in the offensive end and pushing the puck up the ice through the neutral zone. They like to carry the puck through the neutral zone. Um, definitely an offensive leaning defenseman. So. I think you describe Luno with similar words as what you describe Luke Hughes, but definitely not that same ceiling and same potential that you see of Luke Hughes can like take over a game and dominate with the puck on his stick. I don't think you're getting that with Luno, um, but it's similar similar styles as Luke Hughes. Um, yeah, likes to get up in the rush and get involved in the offense, but definitely needs to work on his own end and decision making with the puck because there's a couple turnovers, breakout passes aren't that great. Um, so hopefully that comes with more experience and being a bit older in the queue next year. Um, so yeah, just so, similar sort of script is what you get with Luke Hughes with him. So it's interesting if there's injury concern. And does someone want to talk about Denton Matey, Chuck? Uh... Yeah, I can talk about um, uh, Denton for a little bit. He's um, honestly a very interesting defenseman because I mean, you don't see a lot of players that are as, um, I guess, you know, physically mature as he is at five eleven and also, you know, under 18. I still think, you know, this is a kid that needs to use his body to defend more, but if you're looking for one of the more complete defensemen in the draft, I think, you know, he's your guy, uh, really, really fun to watch in the offensive zone. I sent, 
Josh a clip today. I mean, this kid can absolutely fly. Um, dangerous in transition and um, a really, really competent defender for somebody that's a U18 skater. Just gets in this, uh, all of the lanes, shooting lanes, passing lanes, really active stick in the defensive zone, and he can seal gaps really quickly just because of how good of a skater he is. Um, the only really complaint, uh, I guess there's two that I have about his game is, you know, while he has some, you know, decent strength to him at 192 pounds, I don't think he uses it nearly enough and he's very hesitant to uh, play the body. He leans very heavily towards defending with his stick, which can be good, but then he gets it in a shooting lane and accidentally deflects a puck in, you know? So that coupled with, you know, just some really bad breakout passes are really the only complaints that I had. But again, you know, you can smooth these things out. You can turn him into like a minute muncher at the end. Uh, yeah, I I don't think we have too much tape out there on Ty Nelson, having not played last year in the OHL and playing kind of GTHL before that. So I don't really have too much to say about him per se, but I just think the decision to play double years of minor midget and then not get exceptional status is kind of interesting. You don't really see that too often where a guy plays up and then repeats at the U16 or minor midget level and then go the OHL. Um, we There's only very few defensemen that have been exceptional status in the past. I think Sean Day and Aaron Ekblad are the only two. Um, so, of course, there's two different outcomes there of exceptional status of what you can possibly end up with. Um, I just think that's interesting to see that he went first overall, played two years minor midget, didn't rush into the OHL. So hopefully he comes in um, pretty prepared next year um, because he didn't go that exceptional status route and get caved in as you'd expect a 16-year-old defenseman to do or 15-year-old defenseman. And speaking of players with exceptional status, I look forward to watching Shane Wright as he, uh, as he rejoins the OHL this year. And we're going to see a full season of him with the Kingston Frontenacs. It should be a wicked fun season for Shane Wright fans, and uh, and yeah, it's going to, yeah it's going to be fun to watch him and uh, 2023 NHL draft eligible prospect Connor Bedard light up the lamp. You know it, it you know it should be a lot of fun to see their point totals at the end of the year. Next up, I want to talk about Sasha Pasajov, and he was previously committed to I believe the University of Notre Dame, and then decommitted recently. Uh, to sign a OHL deal with the Guelph Storm. So, yeah, so let's talk about Sasha Pasajov. Yeah, I thought it uh, it was definitely an interesting decision um, in terms of Pasajov's development, but, I mean, he could have just been looking at this as a quicker route to professional hockey, and maybe that's the decision he came to. Um, maybe he was having second thoughts about, you know, potentially going maybe longer than uh, a couple of years with Notre Dame. So, I mean... It'll be interesting to see how he fares in the OHL. I mean, I think his skill set definitely fits it. Um, I think he'll put up an absolute ton of points. Um, but I mean, just moving forward for him, it'll, it, like I said, it'll be very interesting to see. You know, one of the things that I saw in Sasha Pasajov last year with the U.S. National Team Development Program was that at times, you know, his skating ability and, you know, and how he processed the game, you know, from a playmaking decision-making perspective, you know, definitely seemed to be a little bit slower. And so, you know, perhaps the thought is that, you know, if he would go to Notre Dame, that, you know, the chances of him really developing, you know, a quicker sense 
um, you know, for playmaking ability and skating ability, you know, just, you know, just wouldn't be ideal. And so going the OHL route and having the opportunity to play with, you know, another dynamic offensive forward like Danny Jokin, you know, might be the best path for him. So, you know, I'm very intrigued to see, you know, what happens with Sasha Pasajov and if he can grow his game and, you know, become a more faster playmaker, you know, and as Craig Button, you know, continues to talk about constantly, what makes NHL players great is their ability to be quick. And I don't think I saw enough of that out of Sasha Pasajov last year. And so if he can really, really work and become a quick playmaker, you know, with, I mean, with his skating and, you know, in his decision-making ability, you know, you were looking at a dangerous player, but I think the development curve, you know, is, you know, slightly a little bit longer um, for Sasha Pasajov than it might be for others, you know, in the 2021 NHL draft class. Next up on the list, we're going to talk about Yves Gascon of the Gatineau Olympique. So if you hadn't heard, uh, Yves Gascon uh, got an invite to the Gatineau Olympic development camp, and she's actually playing in a preseason game against the Drummondville Voltigars. And, you know, I you know I love the fact that that we are seeing more more female representation in the Canadian Hockey League, and I definitely hope that there's more down the road you know, we saw a goaltender in the OHL draft um, get selected by Sarnia. I think uh, Taya Curry, and so I, you know, I just can't, you know, I just can't wait for the day that we see more and more young women, you know, at you know, at the age of you know, 17, 18 years old, you know, I mean, playing in the Canadian Hockey League, and I, you know, and I personally think, you know, it's awesome that you know that also. I think it's awesome that Eve has this opportunity and I can't wait to see what is in store for her future. Yeah, exactly. Josh, you're so right in saying that. And uh, first off, congratulations both to those girls. It's uh, certainly well-deserved. And I think it's only a matter of time before we see some form of partnership, not only with, you know, junior leagues in North America, but uh, also overseas as well. I think it's only a matter of time before we see a, a prominent women's league develop. And that's not a shot at like the NWHL or anything, but it'd be really interesting to see how long it takes the NHL to kind of, you know, dip their toes into actually helping develop a league, whether it be with sponsorship or whether it be with exposure or or what uh, or whatnot. But I think it's only a matter of time before we see a, a really, really strong um, field of women's teams coming up and I think it's it's great for the game. I mean, I've been to a couple of Buffalo Buttes games uh in passing and and whatnot and it's great hockey to watch. It's it's fun, it's physical and it's really good hockey. So I mean, it, yeah, I'm, I'm looking super forward to seeing how this plays out in the next uh handful of years here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really cool seeing not only this but you know seeing more and more NHL teams get behind you know whether it be local NWHL teams or even, you know, just girls hockey at, you know, the youth stage, um, you know, speaking from, you know, my hometown, you know, Alyssa Galliardi, former NWHL players worked to, I would say, you know, grow girls hockey here exponentially. I mean, it, it has boomed these past two years. And so it's really cool seeing, you know, not only an NHL team get behind it, 
but to see the game flourishing. I think, you know, there's no way that you could spin this that it's bad for the game. You know, it's it's just such a positive thing. Um, I, I played with girls, two girls on my team growing up, and usually if girls are to play with the boys, it's usually around like 13, 14, where they make the shift back over to play with the girls. Um, but for her to be playing until the age of 18 now um, kind of speaks to how impressive it is and how good she is as a player. And then um, it looks like she was suited up or planning to play in the Quebec Collegiate League and this, uh, for CJEP teams this year. Um, but I don't, it doesn't look like they had a season. And again, that's just an impressive level to play at for a girl um, to, to stay with the boys until the age of 18, 19. Um, so it sounds like her invite was deserving and uh, hopefully she does well at camp and um, can continue playing at the collegiate level or wherever she chooses to play afterwards. But um, it's definitely a good opportunity for her to recognize someone who succeeded um, playing with the boys this long. Next up, I want to talk about the USHL. So I know this is going to probably be a storyline in the next few months, but this year for the 2022 NHL draft, we have another Luchas, Cruz Luchas. Uh, Chaz's younger brother, who was playing for the U.S. National Team Development Program last year, uh, but for the U-17 squad. And so I wanted to look at both of these guys and, you know, and start to compare and contrast the Luchas brothers. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in scouting the development team last year, Chaz Lucius obviously was one of my favorite players. I mean, just the way that kid plays the game is is phenomenal. I think he's a great playmaker. And I think you're getting somewhat of the same in his younger brother, uh, Cruz. I mean, first off, their names, absolutely impeccable. Um, second off, I mean, they're both incredible offensive talents. I mean, you look at somebody like, like Cruz, who's going to, I think he's going to be a, a very high pick this year. I mean, maybe that's just me and being biased, but um, you look at somebody, he's, he's, the way he thinks the game in the offensive zone is just incredible. I mean, if you look at his shot, it's amazing. His awareness in the offensive zone is off the charts. I mean, just there's there's really not much to hate on, in my opinion, when he's in that offensive third of the ice. And I mean, the rest of his game, like you see with most development team players, it's pretty well-rounded. So I think he, he had a very good season last year with the U-17s, and I think he's going to only build on that. As Speaking of the U.S. National Team Development Program, there is another prospect who I definitely want to bring up, Logan Cooley. I mean, I I mean, I look at Logan Cooley, and I just see a guy with a ton of energy, a very much high tempo forward, and someone that you know a lot of NHL draft fans are definitely gonna love. Paul, do you mind talking a little bit about Logan Cooley? Logan Cooley's a hell of a player. I think he's going to be another high pick. I mean, I thought last year, in the last, I shouldn't say last, just last year, but the last, I'd say, four or five seasons, the development teams really had a lot of good prospects come into there. Maybe not as as high quality as, as some other programs, but definitely those role players and a lot of high skill talent, especially in the offensive zone, uh, as well as the defensive zone. Uh, but just to speak on Cooley, I mean, he's a great skater. Um, his stance, super, super low, and he can get up and at it pretty quick. Um, not only that, I mean, his play in the offensive zone as well. Um, I, I think, honestly, he works as good or better off the puck as he does on the puck. I mean, he's always making himself available in that offensive zone. Um, 
he's he's constantly getting into open space where he can exploit the defense, exploit the goalie, um, and you know get pucks on net and whatnot. Um, I think he's going to be another really, really, really solid pick for whoever ends up selecting him. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's a lot of hockey to be played, and I think his draft. Next up, I want to talk about Europe. So let's talk about Danila Yurov, who was one of the top Russian prospects in the 2022 NHL draft. There's a lot to like about Danila Yurov. You know, if you're looking for a power forward that has a lot of drive and loves to get involved down low, Danila Yurov is your guy. But he isn't just someone that gets involved on the forecheck. I really, really love his creativity. He's a very strategic player. He always looks to find ways in order to get the puck out of difficult situations, out of areas where he's facing a lot of tight pressure, and he's very, very creative about doing so. So, you know, for example, when he's in the offensive zone and he's got traffic glued right onto him, and his and he's facing center ice, instead of you know instead of trying to backpedal and go back into center ice, he will deceptively turn, pivot, and throw a pass down the boards for a teammate in the corner. It's all about strategy for Danilo Yurov. And, you know, and it's plays like that that I can really see gelling well with NHL scout. Because the biggest component that I think that NHL scouts love to look at is if you are in a situation where you're facing a lot of type pressure, can you, can you wiggle your way out of it in a very strategical manner and still get the puck to a teammate down low or, you know, or at open ice. And, you know, and I think it's plays like that that really open up your eyes to the potential in Danilo Yurov. Yeah, his, uh, the line he played on at the U18s was a lot of fun. Was it him, Svechkov, and Miroshnichenko? I think was their line for the U18s, possibly. Um that was a, a fun line to watch. That I mean, that whole Russian top six, there was a lot of firepower in that tournament. Um, so it'll be fun to see another Russian player play in the KHL for their draft year. Um, it's always impressive to see them uh, stay afloat and contribute to the KHL level. And it's a lot of fun to watch those players compete at the high levels in their draft year. Next up, I want to talk about Team Slovakia at the Helenka Gretzky tournament. Slovakia had a ton of talent. I mean, like, they had Simon Nemec, Filip Mezar, Juraj Slavkovsky, and Dalibor Dvorsky. This was just one stacked Slovakian team, and it was just awesome to see Slovakia put up this kind of play at the international level. I mean, I can't recall the last time that I saw Slovakia, you know, have this kind of talent on the ice and you know, and pull off, you know, a championship caliber team. Unfortunately, I do think that, you know, given the time parameters of the Holinka Gretzky tournament, that, you know, had Slovakia had another day off, we would have seen a very, very different uh, final game between Russia and Slovakia. And who knows, Slovakia could have pulled it out. Yeah, it, it, they were fun to watch, and also it's fun seeing a country that not normally has these top players produce these top players. I'm just looking at like Slovakian draft history now, and you have to go back pretty far to see some first-rounders 
and I'm sorry, Paul, but one of the ones I just saw is a guy I've never heard of that the Sabres drafted, uh, Merrick Zagrapan. Uh, yeah, 13th, 13th, 13th overall, never played a game. Um, so, no, it's just, it's, deep, always, <laughs> it's always, it's always fun um, to see countries produce star players or what look like star players. Um, that's not Canada, Russia, Sweden, US, etc. So, looking forward to seeing a fun crop for them. I mean, they they were fun to watch. They had a ton of skill on that roster, which I mean, again, you know, kind of like Jordan said, we're not really used to seeing. You know, the Slovaks, you know, in a, in a good year might have a handful this year. I mean, it, they had a solid crop of prospects playing, and all of them were at their best. You know. Uh, Obviously, I was a little biased. I liked Philip Mesar um, before the tournament started, and then you know, he just kept playing at a high pace. You know, he was making all these plays happen because I think he sees the ice better than most players his age can. I mean, he sees things before they happen, and he knows where players are going to be. And speaking of Philip Mesar, Philip Mesar is just another high tempo guy, and I can definitely see him producing a lot of highlight reel content uh, throughout the season. And, you know, a lot of public scouts were, you know, ooing and aahing about Fabian Liesel last year, who was ultimately selected by the Boston Bruins in the 2021 NHL draft. And I could definitely see Philip Mazar putting up the type of highlight material that you saw from Fabian Liesel last year. And I can definitely see fans drooling and wanting Mazar on their club. You know, he's just a high-tempo guy, and he thrives at moving the puck up the ice. And, you know, he's, you know, he's just going to, you know, make fans hungry. You know, make fans hungry for this high-tempo style of play. Next up, I want to talk about Brad Lambert of JYP, who is also the top finish 2022 NHL draft eligible prospect and you know a lot of talk throughout this year is going to be centered on Shane Wright and Brad Lambert and who is more likely to be the number one overall prospect and so I wanted to get your guys opinion on Brad Lambert and whether or not you believe that Lambert has the ability to laugh. I've watched JYP closely uh, especially this past year and um and in the preseason too and i mean obviously you know read into preseason lines with a grain of salt right but it seems like they're sticking him on a line with you know uh king's prospect samuel is it hellenius is yeah. that how you pronounce it okay um and I, I forget who the third person is on their fourth line and after watching JYP and, and, you know, the few games that Lambert got at the legal level last year, I can say it, JYP is not a good team and doesn't deploy their U20 or U18 skaters properly and put them in opportunities to succeed. So if Lambert's draft stock, you know, even if it just stays the same, not even if it falls, like, I, I don't think it'll be through any fault of his own. I think, uh, it's a tough team to develop on right now because they are in a bit of a rebuilding phase, you know, and uh, if he's going to stay on a line with Samuel Hellenius, I mean, this is just my personal opinion from having watched him on a line with uh, Kane's prospect, Patrick Pistola all last year. Like, 
I don't think it's going to set Lambert up for success. So maybe his individual skill is enough. I mean, obviously this is a top prospect that we're talking about, but, uh, you know, I have my doubts that he'll be able to dominate because I don't think he'll be set up for success, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I had this thought last year after seeing what uh, Ratti or Ratti was getting, how he was getting kind of treated. Um, I think it would take a lot for a CHL player to enter the season with such high praise and in the D minus one or D minus two in Shane Wright's case um, for them to go and play. And we all, we all know Shane's going to score a hundred points or whatever it is. And it's going to be hard because the, the OHL, you score more, he's going to have more touches on the puck. He's going to play a ton. He's going to score a bazillion points. And I just think it's very hard to knock at the end of the year saying, Oh, we have Shane Wright who scored a hundred and whatever points no matter what Brad Lambert does, I just feel like that kind of bias towards the CHL will kind of always keep that player up on that pedestal. And that's, I don't, I'm not even speaking to what type of player they are, just how we kind of view the European leagues and the Canadian leagues kind of morphs that. Just that, that Ratty treatment last year where he got, what did he drop to, the end of the second round? So I, I think Brad Lambert would have to do insane things in the Liga to make it a true debate. Um, just by we know that Shane Wright's going to score a bazillion points, and uh, because that's how the OHL is, the good players score a point and a half a game or two points a game in some circumstances. So I, I think at the end of the season it won't be much of a debate. You could maybe make the argument now, but um, I think our Canadian bias will definitely land him at the number one uh, undisputed number one spot. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat as Jordan. I mean, it's it's, it's a little unfair as far as European prospects go, um, because there is that that Canadian bias and that North American bias. But, I mean, Lambert's a hell of a prospect. Wright's just as good. In my opinion, he's better. But it will be interesting to see how it goes over the course of the season, how, uh, how they both play. I mean, at the end, I still think Wright comes out on top, but Lambert definitely isn't that far behind. Yeah, just one more thing on that JYP team. Um... I, I've already fallen in love with Joachim Kemmel. Um, I think he's someone that Josh sort of mentioned before that you could produce like a crazy highlight reel of his by the end of the season. Um, just like the hands and like the electric kind of game breaking skill that he has. Um, I don't know how high I'll go in the draft, but I can tell you at the end of the year, there will be an absurd highlight tape of his just by how he plays and how he can take over. Um, so if you're looking for a game breaker and if you're, Looking for that exciting skill. He's definitely somebody to look at. Um, somebody save this so, like, in six months when Jordan's right, we can all come back and praise the hell out of him. <laughs> <laughs> the one time I'm right. <laughs> Next up, I want to mention the draft eligibles that are on the Champions Hockey League active rosters. So I was on the Champions Hockey League website the other day and uh, pulled down the list of the of the 2022 draft eligible players that are that are on the roster and uh, so uh, yes I'm just gonna read them off uh, Marco Casper for Rogel Leon Bixell for Lexand Elias Salamanson for Skeleftea Julian Lutz for Red Bull Munchen Luka Krakowski for Slovan Bratislava Juraj Slavkovsky for TPS Tomas Hamara and Topi Roni for Tapara. Nino Tomov for Sparta Praha. 
and Otto Salin for HIFK. You know, out of out of all those guys, I want to I want to highlight Uri Slavkovsky. So with Uri, there's a lot of untapped potential. You know, he's a very very big power forward. He's you know he's someone that loves that loves to carry the puck, but ultimately I think at times his stick handling, you know, needs a little bit of work and a little bit of development because you know he you know he tends to bobble pucks, and you know and tends to struggle when you know when getting into the offensive zone and battling with the lost defender and trying to get around him to cut to the net. But ultimately, I definitely think that Uri Slavkovsky can develop and round out his stick handling game and become that elusive power forward threat that NHL teams will crave. So I look forward to seeing what happens this year with TPS and whether or not Uri can be that guy. Uh, yeah, Bichelle is a little interesting. Um, he's, I think, six foot five, and I think as raw as they come, um, his skating needs to be refined. Um, he looks like he's a little unorthodox and um, definitely uncontrolled at times. Um, but he does like to get involved in the play and gets gets some pretty good offensive results. But just overall, just very raw. And it's interesting to see him switch from Switzerland to the Swedish Junior League this year. So hopefully he can play at a little bit of higher level and um, work out some of those kinks. But He's definitely massive, and if he can figure it all out, um, there could be an interesting package there. But as is, it is very, very raw. So we'll see how this season pans out for him. I know there is a little bit of a hype behind him. He was a big part of the Switzerland team uh, at the U18. So hopefully he can refine his game a little bit. But yeah, definitely, definitely raw. Let's move to the last section of our podcast, the mailback section. So Austin Brass tweeted at us and uh, asked us to rank the U.S. National Team Development Program forwards and defensemen for the 2022 NHL Draft. So I'd like to turn to our USHL master, Paul Zook, and, uh, and ask him to provide some light on the top forwards and defensemen from the U.S. National Team Development Program that we should be keeping our eyes on. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the inaugural Smart Talk podcast episode. We will probably make this a monthly podcast until, you know, the January, February, March time frame. And then we might make this more of a semi-monthly podcast. But be on the lookout for our next episode. And hopefully next time around, I can figure out how to put in some awesome music and jazz up the audio a bit. But thank you so much for tuning in and hope you enjoyed our podcast. I'd say your forwards uh, with, I mean, it's like you say, it's it's kind of obvious, but I'd definitely be keeping an eye on Cutter Goche, uh, Logan Cooley, and this is in no particular order. Uh, my boy, Rutger McGroarty, you got Chaz, or uh, Chaz, Cruz Lucius in there. And I would say probably the fifth guy you'd be looking at is some combination of Isaac Howard, Jimmy Snuggerud, or I'd even throw Cole Spicer in there. I mean, there's a lot to like about all those players. And I think it's going to, it's going to be easier to kind of answer that question as, as the season progresses um, with 
USHL and, you know, national play and whatnot. And I think a lot of these guys have a decent shot to make um, the World Junior roster um, with a strong start to the season. But I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's yet to be yet to be seen. Um, in terms of defensemen, though, I think you could go with uh, the Seamus twins. I mean, they're not really twins, but uh, Seamus Powell, you got there. Um, one, oh, Seamus Casey's the other one. Um, I'm a fan of Lane Hudson. I think he's a strong defender. Um, he's committed to BU for the following season or season after. I'm not 100% sure. Um, you could also take a look at as far as defenseman goes, Tyler Duke. And the other one, I would um, you could also throw like Ryan Ches. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the inaugural Smart Talk podcast episode. We will probably make this a monthly podcast until you know the January, February, March time frame, and then we might make this more of a semi-monthly podcast. But be on the lookout for our next episode, and hopefully next time around, I can figure out how to put in some awesome music and jazz up the audio a bit. But thank you so much for tuning in and hope you enjoyed our podcast.